0: section 11 of the colonel's dream this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by james k white the colonel's dream by charles chestnut section 11 chapter 11 in addition to a pronounced attractiveness of form and feature miss Graciella treadwell possessed a fine complexion a clear eye and an elastic spirit she was also well endowed with certain other characteristics of youth among them ingeniousness which if it be a fault experience is sure to correct and impulsiveness which even the school of hard knocks is not always able to eradicate though it may chasten to the good points of graciela could be added an untroubled conscience, at least up to that period when Colonel French dawned upon her horizon and for some time thereafter. If she had put herself foremost in all her thoughts, it had been the unconscious egotism of youth, with no definite purpose of self-seeking. The things for which she wished most were associated with distant places, and her longing for them had never taken the form of envy of those around her indeed envy is scarcely a vice of youth it is a weed that flourishes best after the flower of hope has begun to wither graciella's views of life even her youthful romanticism were sane and healthful but since she had not been tried in the furnace of experience it could only be said of her that she belonged to the class always large but shifting like the sands of the sea who have never been tempted and therefore do not know whether they would sin or not it was inevitable with such a nature as Graciella's, in such an embodiment that the time should come at some important crisis of her life when she must choose between different courses nor was it likely that she could avoid what comes sometimes to all of us the necessity of choosing between good and evil her liking for colonel french had grown since their first meeting he knew so many things that Graciella wished to know that, when he came to the house, she spent a great deal of time in conversation with him. Her aunt Laura was often busy with household duties, and Graciella, as the least employed member of the family, was able to devote herself to his entertainment. Colonel French, a comparatively idle man at this period, found her prattle very amusing. It was not unnatural for Graciella to think that this acquaintance might be of future value. She could scarcely have thought otherwise. If she should ever go to New York, a rich and powerful friend would be well worth having. Should her going there be delayed very long, she would nevertheless have a tie of friendship in the great city, and a source to which she might at any time apply for information. Her fondness for Colonel French's society was, however, up to a certain time, entirely spontaneous and colored by no ulterior purpose her hope that his friendship might prove valuable was an afterthought it was during this happy period that she was standing one day by the garden gate when colonel french passed by in his fine new trap driving a spirited horse and it was with perfect candor that she waved her hand to him familiarly would you like to drive he called wouldn't i she replied wait till I tell the folks.' She was back in a moment and ran out of the gate and down the steps. The colonel gave her his hand and she sprang up beside him. They drove through the cemetery and into the outlying part of the town, where there were some shaded woodland stretches. It was a pleasant afternoon, cloudy enough to hide the sun. Graciela's eyes sparkled and her cheek glowed with pleasure while her light brown hair, blown about her face by the breeze of their rapid motion, was like an aureole. "'Colonel French,' she said as they were walking the horse up a hill, "'are you going to give a housewarming?' "'Why,' he said, "'I hadn't thought of it. "'Ought I to give a housewarming?' "'You surely ought. "'Everybody will want to see your house while it is new and bright. "'You certainly ought to have a housewarming.' Very well, said the Colonel. I make it a rule to shirk no plain duty. If I ought to have a housewarming, I will have it, and you shall be my social mentor. What sort of a party shall it be? Why not make it, she said brightly, just such a party as your father would have had? You have the old house, and the old furniture. Give an old-time party." in fitting up his house the colonel had been animated by the same feeling that had moved him to its purchase he had endeavoured to restore as far as possible the interior as he remembered it in his childhood at his father's death the furniture had been sold and scattered he had been able through the kindly interest of his friends to recover several of the pieces others that were lost past hope had been reproduced from their description Among those recovered was a fine pair of brass andirons, and his father's mahogany desk, which had been purchased by Major Treadwell at the sale of the elder French's effects. Miss Laura had been the first to speak of the desk. "'Henry,' she had said, "'the house would not be complete without your father's desk. "'It was my father's, too, but yours is the prior claim. "'Take it as a gift from me.' he protested and would have paid for it liberally and when she would take nothing declared he would not accept it on such terms you are selfish henry she replied with a smile you have brought a new interest into our lives and into the town and you will not let us make you any return but i am taking from you something you need he replied and for which you paid when major treadwell bought it it was merely second-hand furniture sold under the hammer "'Now it has the value of an antique. It is a fine piece, and could be sold in New York for a large sum.' "'You must take it for nothing, or not at all,' she replied firmly. "'It is highway robbery,' he said, and could not make up his mind to yield. Next day, when the colonel went home, after having been downtown an hour, he found the desk in his library. The Treadwell ladies had corrupted Peter— who had told him when the colonel would be out of the house and had bought a cart to take the desk away when the house was finished the interior was simple but beautiful it was furnished in the style that had been prevalent fifty years before there were some modern additions in the line of comfort and luxury soft chairs fine rugs and a few choice books and pictures for the colonel had not attempted to conform his own tastes and habits to those of his father he had some visitors, mostly gentlemen, and there was, as Graciela knew, a lively curiosity among the ladies to see the house and its contents. The suggestion of a housewarming had come originally from Mrs. Treadwell, but Graciella had promptly made it her own and conveyed it to the Colonel. "'A bright idea,' he replied. "'By all means, let it be an old-time party. Say such a party as my father would have given, or my grandfather.' and shall we invite the old people?' "'Well,' replied Graciela judiciously, "'don't have them so old that they can't talk or hear, and must be fed with a spoon. If there were too many old or not enough young people, I shouldn't enjoy myself.' "'I suppose I seem awfully old to you,' said the colonel, parenthetically. "'Oh, I don't know,' replied Graciela, giving him a frankly critical look. When you first came, I thought you were rather old. You see, you are older than Aunt Laura, but you seem to have grown younger. It's curious, but it's true, and now I hardly think of you as old at all. The colonel was secretly flattered. The wisest man over forty likes to be thought young. Very well, he said, you shall select the guests at an old-time party. continued Graciella thoughtfully. The guests should wear old-time clothes. In grandmother's time, the ladies wore long, flowing sleeves. And hoop-skirts, said the colonel, and their hair down over their ears, or in ringlets. Yes, it is all in grandmother's bound volume of the ladies' book, said Graciela. I was reading it only last week. My mother took it, returned the colonel. Then you must have read Letters from a Pastry Cook, by N. P. Willis, when they came out. "'No,' said the colonel with a sigh. "'I missed that. "'I—I wasn't able to read then.' Graciela indulged in a brief mental calculation. "'Why, of course not,' she laughed. "'You weren't even born when they came out. "'But they're fine. "'I'll lend you our copy. "'You must ask all the girls to dress as their mothers and grandmothers used to dress.' make the requirement elastic because some of them may not have just the things for one particular period i'm all right we have a cedar chest in the attic full of old things won't i look funny in a hoop-skirt you'll look charming in anything said the colonel it was a pleasure to pay graciela compliments she so frankly enjoyed them and the colonel loved to make others happy in his new york firm mr french was always ready to consider a request for an advance of salary kirby had often been obliged to play the wicked partner in order to keep expenses down to a normal level at parties debutantes had always expected mr french to say something pleasant to them and had rarely been disappointed the subject of the party was resumed next day at mrs treadwell's where the colonel went in the afternoon to call An old-time party, declared the Colonel, should have old-time amusements. We must have a fiddler, a black fiddler, to play quadrilles and the Virginia Reel. I don't know where you'll find one, said Miss Laura. I'll ask Peter, replied the Colonel. He ought to know. Peter was in the yard with Phil. Lord, Mars Henry, said Peter, fiddlers is mighty scarce these days. "'But I reckon old Polly and Campbell can make you shake your feet yet, if old man rheumatiz ain't catch hold of them too tight. And I will play a minuet on your new piano,' said Miss Laura, and teach the girls beforehand how to dance it. There should be cards for those who do not dance.' So the party was arranged. Miss Laura, Graciella, and the Colonel made out the list of guests, The invitations were duly sent out for an old-time party, with old-time costumes, any period between 1830 and 1860 permissible, and old-time entertainment. The announcement created some excitement in social circles, and, like all of Colonel French's enterprises at that happy period of his homecoming, brought prosperity in its train. Dressmakers were kept busy making and altering costumes for the ladies old archie christmas the mulatto tailor sole survivor of a once flourishing craft mr cohen's universal emporium supplied the general public with ready-made clothing and twice a year the travelling salesman of a new york tailoring firm visited clarendon with samples of suitings and took orders and measurements old archie christmas who had not made a full suit of clothes for years was able by making and altering men's garments for the colonel's party to earn enough to keep himself alive for another twelve months. Old Peter was at Archie's shop one day, and they were talking about old times, good old times. For to old men, old times are always good times, though history may tell another tale. Yo boss is a godsend to this town, declared old Archie. He sure is. De white folks say de young niggers is triflin' cause they don't learn how to do nothing but what is there for them to do? I can remember when this town was full of black and yellow carpenters and jenners, blacksmiths, wagon makers, shoemakers, tinners, saddlers, and cabinet makers. Now, all the furniture, the shoes, the wagons, the buggies, the tinware, the horseshoes, the nails to fasten them on with. Yes, and for the Lord, even the clothes that folks wear on their backs is made at the North, and ain't nothing left for the old niggers to do let alone the young ones. Your boss is the right kind. I hopes he'll stay round here till you and me dies. I hopes would you, said Peter fervently. I sure does. Yes, indeed I does. Peter was entirely sincere. Never in his life had he worn such good clothes, eaten such good food, or led so easy a life as in the colonel's service. Even the old times paled by comparison with this new golden age and the long years of poverty and hard luck that stretched behind him seemed to the old man like a distant and unpleasant dream the party came off at the appointed time and was a distinct success graciella had made a raid on the cedar chest and shone resplendent in crinoline curls and a patterned muslin together with miss laura and ben Dudley, who had come in from mink run for the party she was among the first to arrive Miss Laura's costume, which belonged to an earlier date, was in keeping with her quiet dignity. Ben wore a suit of his uncle's, which the care of old Aunt Viney had preserved wonderfully well from moth and dust through the years. The men wore stocks and neckcloths, bell-bottomed trousers with straps under their shoes, and frock-coats very full at the top and buttoned tightly at the waist. Old Peter, in a long blue coat with brass buttons, acted as butler helped by a young negro who did the heavy work. Miss Laura's servant Catherine had rallied from her usual gloom, and begged the privilege of acting as lady's maid. Polian Campbell, an old-time negro fiddler whom Peter had resurrected from some obscure cabin, oiled his rheumatic joints, tuned his fiddle, and rosined his bow, and, under the inspiration of good food and drink and liberal wage, played through his whole repertory which included such ancient favourites as Fisher's Hornpipe, Soldier's Joy, Chicken in the Bread Tray, and The Campbells Are Coming. Miss Laura played a minuet, which the young people danced. Major McLean danced the Highland Fling, and some of the ladies sang old-time songs and war lyrics which stirred the heart and moistened the eyes. Little Phil, in A Child's Costume of 1840, copied from the ladies' book, was petted and made much of for several hours, until he became sleepy and was put to bed. Graciella said the Colonel to his young friend, during the evening, "'our party is a great success. It was your idea. When it is over, I want to make you a present in token of my gratitude. You shall select it yourself. It shall be whatever you say.' Graciella was very much elated at this mark of the Colonel's friendship. She did not dream of declining the proffered token, and during the next dance her mind was busily occupied with the question of what it should be-a ring, a bracelet, a bicycle, a set of books. She needed a dozen things, and would have liked to possess a dozen others. She had not yet decided when Ben came up to claim her for a dance. On his appearance she was struck by a sudden idea. Colonel French was a man of affairs in New York he must have a wide circle of influential acquaintances. Old Mr. Dudley was in failing health. He might die at any time, and Ben would then be free to seek employment away from Clarendon. What better place for him than New York? With a position there he would be able to marry her, and take her there to live. This, she decided, should be her request of the Colonel, that he should help her lover to a place in New York. Her conclusion was really magnanimous. She might profit by it in the end, but Ben would be the first beneficiary. It was an act of self-denial, for she was giving up a definite and certain good for a future contingency. She was therefore in a pleasant glow of self-congratulatory mood when she accidentally overheard a conversation not intended for her ears. She had run out to the dining-room to speak to the housekeeper about the refreshments and was returning through the hall when she stopped for a moment to look into the library, where those who did not care to dance were playing cards. Beyond the door, with their backs turned toward her, sat two ladies engaged in conversation. One was a widow, a well-known gossip, and the other a wife known to be unhappily married. They were no longer young, and their views were marked by the cynicism of seasoned experience. "'Oh, there's no doubt about it,' said the widow. "'He came down here to find a wife. He tried a Yankee wife and didn't like the breed, and when he was ready for number 2, he came back south. "'He showed good taste,' said the other. "'That depends,' said the widow, "'upon whom he chooses. He can probably have his pick.' "'No doubt,' rejoined the married lady, with a touch of sarcasm, which the widow, who was still under forty, chose to ignore. "'I wonder which it is,' said the widow. "'I suppose it's Laura.' He spends a great deal of time there, and she's devoted to his little boy, or pretends to be. Don't fool yourself, replied the other earnestly, and not without a subdued pleasure in disabusing the widow's mind. Don't fool yourself, my dear. A man of his age doesn't marry a woman of Laura Treadwell's. Believe me, it's the little one. But she has a beau. There's that tall nephew of old Mr. Dudley's. He's been hanging around her for a year or two. He looks very handsome tonight. Ah, well, she'll dispose of him fast enough when the time comes. He's only a poor stick, the last of a good stock run to seed. Why, she's been pointedly setting her cap at the Colonel all the evening. He's perfectly infatuated. He has danced with her three times to once with Laura. It's sad to see a man make a fool of himself— Sighed the widow, who was not without some remnants of beauty and a heart still warm and willing. Children are very forward nowadays. There's no fool like an old fool, my dear, replied the other with the cheerful philosophy of the miserable who love company. These fair women are always selfish and calculating, and she's a bold piece. My husband says Colonel French is worth at least a million. A young wife who understands her business could get anything from him that money can buy. What a pity, my dear, said the widow with a spice of malice, seeing her own opportunity. What a pity that you were older than your husband. Well, it will be fortunate for the child if she marries an old man, for beauty of her type fades early. Old Polyan's fiddle, to which one of the guests was improvising an accompaniment on the Colonel's new piano, had struck up camptown races and the rollicking lilt of the chorus was resounding through the house gonna run all night gonna run all day i bet my money on de bobtail nag oh who's gonna bet on de bay ben ran out into the hall graciella had changed her position and was sitting alone perturbed in mind come on graciella let's get into the virginia reel it's the last one graciella obeyed mechanically Ben on the contrary was unusually animated he had enjoyed the party better than any he had ever attended he had not been at many colonel french who had entered with zest into the spirit of the occasion participated in the reel every time graciela touched his hand it was with the consciousness of a new element in their relations until then her friendship for colonel french had been perfectly ingenious she had liked him because he was interesting and good to her in a friendly way now she realized that he was a millionaire eligible for marriage from whom a young wife if she understood her business might secure the gratification of every wish the serpent had entered eden Graciella had been tendered the apple she must choose now whether she would eat when the party broke up the colonel was congratulated on every hand he had not only given his guests a delightful evening he had restored an ancient landmark, had recalled to a people whose life lay mostly in the past the glory of days gone by, and proved his loyalty to their cherished traditions. Ben Dudley walked home with Graciella. Miss Laura went ahead of them with Catherine, who was cheerful in the possession of a substantial reward for her services. "'You're not saying much to-night,' said Ben to his sweetheart, as they walked along under the trees graciella did not respond you're not saying much to-night he repeated yes returned graciella abstractedly it was a lovely party ben said no more the housewarming had also given him food for thought he had noticed the colonel's attentions to graciella and had heard them remarked upon colonel french was more than old enough to be graciella's father but he was rich Graciella was poor and ambitious. Ben's only assets were youth and hope, and priority in the field his only claim. Miss Laura and Catherine had gone in, and when the young people came to the gate, the light still shone through the open door. Graciella, he said, taking her hand in his as they stood a moment. "'Will you marry me?' "'Still harping on the same old string?' she said, withdrawing her hand. "'I'm tired now, Ben. Too tired to talk foolishness. "'Very well. I'll save it for next time. Good night, sweetheart.' She had closed the gate between them. He leaned over it to kiss her, but she evaded his caress and ran lightly up the steps. "'Good night, Ben,' she called. "'Good night, sweetheart,' he replied with a pang of foreboding. In after years, when the colonel looked back upon his residence in Clarendon— this seemed to him the golden moment there were other times that stirred deeper emotions the lust of battle the joy of victory the chagrin of defeat moments that tried his soul with tests almost too hard but thus far his new career in clarendon had been one of pleasant experiences only and this unclouded hour was its fitting crown end of section 11 recording by james k white chulavista